I'd like to start our time this morning by reading this passage. So if you would turn with me to Acts chapter 23, we continue in our study of the book of Acts. And uh, this this sermon isn't going to be like a verse-by-verse kind of an approach because of the way this chapter goes. So, um, but I want to read the chapter and uh, let's ask the Lord to help, uh, help us understand. So here we go. Um, at the end of chapter 22, in verse 30, it says, On the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, that's Paul, why Paul was being accused by the Jews, he, the Roman commander unbound him and commanded the Jew, uh, the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. So it was kind of a quick meeting. And looking intently at the council, chapter 23, verse 1, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet, contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, or the Roman commander, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And when it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you, as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now, 
the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. And Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me and asked me to bring this young man to you as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside, asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they're ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune Dismissed the young man, charging him, Tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias To his excellency, the governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. And desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the next day, they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. Today... What we're going to be talking about is a majestic topic of God's providence, God's providence on display. When was the last time you used the word providence? When was the last time one of our teachers in schools used the word providence? I think if we uh, look back on our history books, had we, just think, think for a second. If you had been on the Mayflower, on that ship, on that wooden ship crossing from Europe over to America, that was no easy trip. And they knew that it was God's hand of providence that guided them. And they talked about it and they wrote about it. And yet, some uh, very fascinating way, the word has kind of been deleted. Just, you no longer hear it anymore. 
But we want to uh, do our best to consider it here this morning because as we read this, this chapter, Acts 23, we see providence throughout the whole chapter. Now we could say that of the whole Bible because in the Old Testament there are definitely stories of God's providence there and on into the New Testament. But do you and I really think that there's been the hand of providence in your life? Really? Do you really think so? Because we should be. We should be saying yes immediately as, as believers. But it's, it's one of those things, again, where we tend to push it aside because we don't use the word anymore. We don't hear it. We don't read about it. It's like, isn't that in Rhode Island? Yeah, it is. But it's here too. I'd like to, before we go any further, I'd like to pray. Um, So please join me in prayer. Lord, you know that we are a needy people. We think we are strong and we think we can handle things, but we are weak, we're short-sighted, we're finite, we're limited. And yet you love us. You're so awesome and you're so great. You're so magnificent, far beyond our limited understanding. You're the giver of all good gifts. You are our maker. You made heaven and earth. You are our sustainer. And you provide for us. You cover the heavens with clouds. You provide rain for the earth. You make the grass grow on the mountains. You are before all things. And in you, all things hold together. You uphold all things by the word of your power. And according to your purpose, you work all things after the counsel of your will. Lord, you do not grow weary or tired. You give strength to the weary. You sustain all who fall and you raise up all who are bowed down. You give grace to the humble. You're able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. It's because of your amazing grace that you continue to call sinners to return to you and be saved. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And your invitation to come still stands. You, Lord, are the Savior. Thank you, Lord. And you open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. God, we praise you how great you are. Open up our eyes and our ears to your truth here this morning. Thank you for how great you are. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, in preparing for this, it really has hit me, and I'm sure this is not a um, the first time that you've heard this kind of a thing. But we we truly are a people that don't praise God enough. We do not praise God enough. And if you're a believer, by the time you and I get to heaven, we're going to realize there's so much more to praise God for. 
and his being good and faithful. The Bible says he's good to every living thing. In, in times today, we're going to be talking about God's goodness and, and his providence. And, and some of the time we're going to wonder, but that's, that's not to everyone, is it? And I think there's things that every living creature, every human being who has ever lived will give an account to the, the fact that it's God who brought this about. It's God that deserves the glory and the credit. So what is providence? I gave you a definition here. It's from Westminster Confession of Faith. God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. Along with that, there, um, I have a little... I wanted to show you um, this one. In, there's a couple of books that I brought up. I, I, I try to remember to do this, is to bring uh, things to suggest to you. This is a pocket dictionary of theological terms. And in it... We read of providence. How about that? Okay, here we go. Real quick. Providence is not a biblical term. Both the Old Testament and New Testament set forth an understanding of God's gracious outworking of the divine purpose in Christ within the created order in human history. The world and humanity are not ruled by chance or by fate, but by God who directs history and creation toward an ultimate goal. Providence, therefore, refers to God's superintending activity over human actions and human history, bringing creation to its divinely determined goal. And there are others. But, you know, hopefully in having at least one definition, you can go look up some more. But um, remember, it's a definition that ought to be exalting God as superintending all human events, all things. So what is... uh, Right away, this ought to bring up some stuff in our minds. It, It ought to directly oppose such ideas that we have in our world of, number one, pantheism, right? What's pantheism? It's that God and the universe are essentially identical. Let's walk out and look at the tree, and there's God. Or there's an animal, and there's God. It's, it's that kind of a thing. Um, deism, the idea of, of the, the belief of deism, God is distant. After creating, he left. Walked away, kind of said, it'll, it'll carry on by its own. Which many of our nation's forefounder, forefathers, the founding fathers of our nation, uh, that's what they believe. They're deists. Um, just other things are there that uh, oppose it because we've been schooled in certain ways. And so another couple of good ones, um, the doctrine of chance. Uh, a better way of saying it is, lucky you. Good old, that was so lucky that you did it, did it, did it. Or good fortune. Oh, you have, you've had such good fortune. 
That's common language that we use, right? Or, on the other hand, just the doctrine of fate. Everything's kind of going against you. You know, tough luck for you. Okay? And so, those are some things that we do battle with um, in our minds because we've got certain responses to things in life. And a lot of times we just say, well, wow, I was really lucky. And we assign that to certain situations that we've faced in life. This chapter shows something totally different, totally contrary. So I've, I've uh, tried to give a little outline for you uh, that you have there in your bulletin. And there's four things that really show God's providence on display. Number one, in the heat of a hate-filled hearing. You know, Paul came to Jerusalem and he was hoping to, you know, accomplish you know, great things here. But what he found out was there's great persecution. And it's interesting that, um, you know, it, it was set up by the Roman commander, this tribune. And he brought Paul wanting to understand who this Paul is. You know, he, he was ready to, remember uh, two weeks ago we talked about it, he was ready to flog Paul to get some answers out of him. It was that serious an issue because there's a, a, an uprising back in chapter 22. So we're, we're going to take care of this. Romans were going to fool around. They're going to get right to it. String him up and scourge him. And then Paul said what? You remember? Uh, do you do this to Roman citizens? And they just stepped back like it was the magic pill or something. All of a sudden, no, he's a Roman citizen. Don't touch him. So now he says, okay, the, the commander says, let's, let's pull together a council here and let's get this settled. Let's get this ironed out. And so he does. And Paul starts out saying, Brothers, I've lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. So he's thinking of all the things he's done and been accused of. And he comes forth and says, I've got a clear conscience on this. Okay? And listen, that can only come through knowing the God of peace, who gives peace. And that peace starts where? In your, in your life. Here's a clear conscience. Do you have a clear conscience before God? Paul could say that. And yet, look how it was interpreted. <laughs> Ananias says, strike him on the face. Now listen, this is not just a, I'm going to slap you, bad boy. It's more like my dad used to say, knuckle sandwich time. You're right in the smack in the face. Okay? He, he was struck right in the face. Okay? And Paul responds. Obviously, he's... I, I, we don't know at this point if his eye problem, which we know he had uh, problems with vision, we don't know if that was set in now or not. And all of a sudden, it just came out of nowhere. Or if it was full on, he saw it coming. But it happened. And Paul's response was... And in this response, he, we already know by reading, he knew the scriptures that you weren't supposed to speak evil of a ruler of God's people. He says that. 
but we don't know exactly why he struck out verbally back to him if he couldn't see him. If this is a, a rushed together meeting and the guy wasn't in his, in his, uh, uh, his clothing, his, his robes or whatever, his hat and stuff. Maybe he just thought he was a, a, a bum Jew here, you know. And he was, he was angry. Well, we don't exactly know. But Paul said, hey, I did not know that this was the high priest. But what's interesting is verse 6. Look at verse 6. Now, when Paul perceived, so some way, somehow Paul understood the mix of this council. And all he said then was, hey, I'm on trial for the hope of the resurrection of the dead. It's just like you step back and let's uh, see what that does. And sure enough, what happened? Debate turns into what? <laughs> more debate, more frenzy, and it's now a debacle. <laughs> you know, it's violence. It's a riot breaking out. And Paul's life was now threatened again. What was the concern that the, the Roman commander had? That they were going to what? Tear him like limb from limb. I don't know. We, we aren't told. Did they grab him by the legs and start pulling at his arm and pulling him in all different directions? We don't know. But the concern was this guy was going to just die right there on the, in the council meeting. Was that... Just uh, all Paul's doing? And Paul was kind of lucky to get pulled out? I'll say that throughout this message. So be on the alert. Number two, we see God's providence on display in the dark of doubt and despair. After this, they took him and what did they do? They threw him back in the barracks. And at this point, again... There's no specifics, but he's got to be down in the dumps. He had to be down and discouraged. Maybe this was like the low point of his, his, of his ministry. We don't know. But what we do know is what verse 11 says. When it all seemed like a defeat, the Lord stood by Paul. Wow, what a one-on-one session that had to be. We don't know how long this was, if it was just long enough for Jesus to say it, or if, uh, if there's more time spent there or what. We don't know. But what we do know is here are encouraging words from the Lord Jesus. And maybe it was when Paul needed it most of all. Isn't that when Jesus delivers? When Jesus comes through. It's when you and I need it most of all. You know, and Paul had been through so much previously to this. The Lord knew. And what he says there in verse 11, look at verse 11. What does it say there? Take courage. That's what he starts with. And that's nothing new for Jesus to say. He said that many times in the past. Take courage. And that is a... Um, a subtle command. It's, it's in the imperative in the Greek language. Take courage. And then he, he, he praises him. 
look, you've been faithful in witnessing. You've been faithful to testify to the facts about me in Jerusalem. More good words. And then he provides words of hope and promise. Words of motivation, if you will. You will go on to Rome. This was Paul's desire. He wanted to go on to Rome. He had mentioned that. I hope to go to Rome. And it would be wrong just to move on at this point. We, We need to take it and bring it right now, right here, right now to ourselves. You know, each and every one of you know what it's like when someone walks up to you and encourages you when you're not expecting it. You know. Paul wasn't expecting. Paul was looking at a night in the barracks in despair, wondering... My goodness. You know, again, we think of Paul as like Superman, Christian, apostle. And yet, here's a moment where Paul is down and Christ comes, stands by him. Okay? Now, are we wondering what that was like? Was that a vision? I believe that was a real deal appearance. That's not a hard thing for Jesus to do. And you say, well, why doesn't he do it with me? Or why doesn't he do it here or there? Well, it's, I believe, the time in which, you know, things were happening there. Here's what Jesus knew was the best thing. I'm going to show up. And he showed up and he ministered to Paul. How do you and I receive encouragement from the Lord? Most of us know that you've been a Christian any length of time. You know it's right there on your lap. It's your time in the Word. Don't you ever think it's something else. Yes, you can get encouragement from a person, from a song, from a quiet moment. I know where our kids are at, they love quiet moments, you know, <laughs> where they get a quiet moment away from their children running around the house, right? Some of you know that and you remember that or whatever. But the best encouragement is from God's Word. And we need to keep coming back again. Where do I get fed and nourished in the Word? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so let's be healthy in that way, Christian, to be encouraged by the counsel and the instruction and the wisdom of the Word of God. So this is how God, how Jesus responds here. He shows up, His presence. And don't ever forget you know, we know of His presence with us. When we gather together, He is present in the praises of His people. When you're calling upon Him, do you really think that He's far and distant when you're calling upon Him? Seriously. When you're, when you're sincere and crying out to God, do you think He's far away and distant? Well, you're a deist. You're not listening to the scriptures. Listen to the scriptures. 
He is near to the brokenhearted. Do we need to say that again? He is near to the brokenhearted. And this is the amazing thing, that why did Jesus not just set up his kingdom? Why did he then send his Holy Spirit? His Holy Spirit dwells in each and every one of us, wherever we go. As believers, he indwells believers. And so wherever you go, there is the Holy Spirit indwelling your, your temple. So... Are you in the dark of doubt and despair in your life? Are you discouraged now? This past week, did something happen where you got discouraged or downhearted? Well, here's one verse out of thousands that you can be encouraged by because this is the same God that was with Paul, the one that we want to be and the one that we are worshiping. So the time with Jesus in his word, that's what God provides for us is that those moments, those times. Okay, God's providence on display in in the heat of a heat, hate filled hearing in the dark of doubt and despair. Number three, in the nick of time, just in the nick of time, uh, we say it that way. But maybe the better way to say it is in perfect timing because God's timing is perfect, right? And so um, the anger and hatred for Paul. Look, the, the Romans pulled Paul out of the, out of the crowd. They yanked him out of the crowd. Now, it picks up, the story picks up with the, the angry Jews. They didn't get their guy. They didn't kill him. And now it's forming. It's the, the ooze of evil. <laughs> Here's the ooze of evil stirring up. And what do they do? More than 40 guys bond together and make an oath. We're not going to eat or drink until he is dead. This is no light thing. It's dead serious. Uh, Excuse the pun. But by the way, those guys are still not eating. I know they're all dead anyway, but they never, if they were true to their word, they died of starvation. But uh, I doubt that. Anger and hatred for Paul, what he stood for, escalated to the formation of this assassination hit squad. The hearing didn't result in his arrest or his capture, so these guys conspired together, and they turned around and conspired with the chief priests and the elders. But luckily, Paul's nephew heard about it. Right? He just happened to be there. And uh, it clicked, saying, oh, I better go tell Uncle Paul. He overheard the evil plan, and we say it was in the nick of time, but again, here's God's providence. And he goes and he reports what he heard to Paul. Paul refers him to the commander. The commander gets it going. And again, Paul orchestrated it all from his barracks, right? He got it all together that way, right? No. That's one of the points of this. Paul didn't orchestrate anything. Yeah, he stirred up some trouble with religious people that they, boy, they, it's just like, I, they wanted to kill him. 
They didn't want to just uh, excommunicate him. They wanted to kill him. So, in the nick of time, we, we use that little phrase, but um, think about it for yourself. There are examples from this side over to this side of everyone that's had something happen to them at the right time. Might have been a job. You got hired at, at just the right time. Might have been uh, some other situation. I can't help but remember my mother. Uh, my mother passed away uh, a number of years ago, but my mom, um, back in the 1980s, I believe it was, had a dentist appointment. And uh, again, it wasn't like major surgery on taking out all wisdom teeth or whatever, but it was, it was a checkup and she had x-rays done and the dentist noticed something. He noticed something inside and he said, uh, you ought to go check with your doctor. Sure enough, she went and checked with her doctor and my mom found out she had a tumor growing in, you know, in the side of her, her uh, face there. And I think... You know, there's a great little example of saying, hey, that was really lucky that that doctor got that. I mean, the dentist got it, right? No, it's God's providence. Yes, God is sovereign. He's in control. But here's God's providence providing an answer that needed to be uh, given, something to be revealed that was given, you know. Here's his work, his doing. And I'd encourage you, maybe you go out to lunch with someone today or spend time with your family this afternoon, talk to, and share those kind of things. What was it that you experienced at the right time of God's providence? And this, again, this is an area, listen, this is an area where we tend to put credit elsewhere. And we don't put credit to God. Because we've kind of all grown up with that idea that, well, this just happened that way. And I end up thinking, I think we're limiting God. We, we uh, in essence, are saying, well, God's not going to cover that part of life. And there's more. Not only in this heat of this hate-filled hearing, in the dark of doubt and despair, in the nick of time, but number four, in a big, impressive way. God provided Paul with the most powerful secret service squad known to the world. Call it the Special Forces Unit. Call it the Navy SEAL. These guys were skillful in what they did. And it wasn't just 20 guys that showed up to help Paul. Did you count up how many were assigned to take Paul out of Jerusalem? 270. Right? Wrong. Look at verse 23. He called two of the centurions and said, Get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. You got almost 500 soldiers escorting this guy out at about nine o'clock at night. Wow, Paul, you were really persuasive there with the Romans. 
How did you do that, Paul? Well, you know, I, I talked with the Roman commander for a while and, and he saw my argument. You get my point, right? Come on. It's God's providence. It's God's working. It's God orchestrating this. And not just some sort of random move. Let's get him out of Jerusalem. Now he's out of Jerusalem. And guess what? He's one more step closer to where he's going to go. Off to Rome. So, it's in a, a, in a bigger way, this situation shows again that no man-made effort, no man-made scheme, or no man-made conspiracy, no matter how evil, can stop God's plan. And now, little thoughts come up about, well, what about 9-11, Woody? What about... The killings over here. What about this over here? All the things that do come about in our lifetime, in our existence. What about those? Well, that's a hard one to answer, isn't it? And there's all sorts of other questions about why, why did this happen or why did that? Why did God allow this? Why, did, why, 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 why? Number one, let's not point the finger at God even though we, we know and we believe you and I better believe that God is sovereign and he displays his providence but let's understand what kind of world do we live in is it an ever growing ever increasing God blessed culture and world no it's, it's debilitating it's falling apart slowly it's, it's coming apart. I mean that spiritually, culturally. I'm not sure physically. I'm not sure about that. It's just that what we learn in the Bible about God, what do you believe about God? How big is God? And this is my problem, and this is our problem. We want to have a big God, but even there, he's still not big enough, according to the Bible. What the Bible says, he is great and beyond our comprehension. And yet, he can be known. There's too many times Christians think they've got God together and, and put in that little box in their life. And that, that's erroneous. That is false thinking. Um, all too often we do, we put things in categories in our lives, in our minds, and this category goes here, and this category goes here, and that's what we do with God. And we can't do that with God. Let's magnify the Lord together. Let's make him big. He doesn't need that. But we, we are the ones that need to hear about how great God is. Right? So along with this big impressive way of 470 some soldiers, the Roman commander Lysias, uh, Claudius Lysias writes a letter 
a letter, here's like for safe passage, along with the idea that this guy uh, is not deserving of death or imprisonment. But you take him. He's yours now, okay? And yeah, if you really analyze the letter that was sent, there's some things in there that the Roman commander, you know, exaggerated on. But that's not the issue right now. The issue is, here's God's providence displayed in Paul's life, carrying him through these difficult situations, life-threatening situations, and onto, um, onto what God has for him. So there was nothing, absolutely nothing that Paul did in pulling this together. This was God's provision as it has been throughout all of time. God's providence. Okay. I want to, before we get to the takeaways, I want to mention this. One of the clearest pictures of God's provision The providence of God was in Genesis where Abraham was told, take your son, your only son. Well, it wasn't his only son, but take your son Isaac, the son of promise, and bind him up and go slay him. And that was a test for Abraham, wasn't it? Because at the right time, he raised up that knife And that wasn't just for show or for drama. He was going to take the life of his son because in his heart he knew that God would provide a lamb. And at that right time, God said, stop. And what, what did Abraham see at that moment? Turned and looked. He saw the providence of God. A lamb caught in a thicket a ram caught in the thicket and he was able to sacrifice that animal. Now, this is for you. This is for you. At Calvary, there is no cry to stop. There is no voice from heaven saying, stop. Stop. There's no substitute for Jesus because he was a substitute for us. And what he did there was of grace and of love and of sacrifice. And we should forever be grateful. And everything flows out of that to allow you and I to look around us and see everything from the hand of God. Not just blessings, you know, whatever, from this speaker on the radio or the internet or or TV or whatever. No, everything. Every good gift is from above. Okay? So, as we wrap this up, ask yourself... And keep asking yourself, how am I perceiving the events and situations in my life? 
Do I go to that kind of the default thing I've grown up with? Oh, that was lucky. I'm glad. Oof, I'm glad I passed that test. Is that lucky? Or is that fortunate? I, I, I want us to just really work at, let's delete that stuff. Let's, let's punch the delete button on those kind of terms and that kind of thinking. And let's learn to give God the glory for the little things and the big things. Would you please, uh, this isn't going to take long, but turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus in verse 25 says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Is that a stretch of the truth or what? You know, what are we dealing with here? Jesus is telling us that the Father, God the Father, here, here's creation. It's His. The earth is His. He made heaven and earth. It's His. And there's not random stuff going on, although we translate it that way all the time. Here's God's providence involved in all things. And it goes on to, you know, it goes on. You know, um, look at the lilies of the field in verse 28, how they grow. <laughs> they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles... Seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Listen, this is God's teaching on providence. This ought to bring you great comfort, Christian, right? <laughs> And it ought to stir up more and more praise, heartfelt praise to God for all his provisions and for his protections. So honestly, listen, we do. We rob God of the glory. We rob God of the praise. We credit random chance and luck more than we credit God. Let's be crediting God with all these things for all the the blessings of life. All of it. I shared a little bit in Sunday school about a person that wrote a devotion. And um, it's pretty amazing when you study and l- take in the life and example of Johnny Erickson Tata. She sits in a wheelchair and she, she's unable to do anything except she, she'll put a pen in her mouth and draw pictures. She can't even use her hands. And she praises God 
you know, for all the things that God has allowed to happen in her life. And here, again, here we are, healthy, active, you know, people, bodies moving and all that. Uh, Let's learn more and more to give God glory for all that he has done. And let's not limit what God has done. Who is there in the heavens like our God? Who is there? So, you know, let's expand our thinking about who God is. We're never going to be able to comprehend him. But my goodness, let's, let's open it up and let's continue to give God the glory. Thank him for the, the beauty of creation, the beauty of this day. For people that you've known for a long time that we, we take for granted. Thank God for them and give encouraging words. You know, like Jesus came to Paul, give encouraging words. What a difference that'll make. And what praise our God deserves. Um, last thing, I want to recommend a book on this very topic. It's called The Invisible Hand by R.C. Sproul. So, uh, great book, great challenge, and it really stretches your mind and your heart. Let's stand for a closing prayer. I will extol you, my God and my King, and I'll bless your name forever and ever. Every day, I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Lord, we ask that you would work uh, these truths into our lives and, and helping us to grow more and more to love you, and give you praise that you are so deserving of. Worthy is our God. We praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Oh, there will be a, a couple up front.